Future Pulse, Patients First, investigating innovative cardiovascular research with a patient-oriented clinical outcome focus. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, clinical and interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Hello, I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, and welcome to Future Pulse, Patients First. Today's podcast, we're going to be discussing elevated cholesterol levels. This podcast is made to dovetail into a research-based podcast on lipid subfractionations. So today, what we're going to be talking about is high cholesterol and how that we are going to be looking at it now and how we're going to be looking at it in the future. So the first question is, what is cholesterol and why do we care about it? So when we talk about heart disease, the main driver of coronary artery disease are a few factors. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, family history, sedentary lifestyle. Those are the main things. Other than that, there's a whole bunch of other things that we can look at, but those are the main ones that we've been talking about for the last 70 years or so. Of those, the one blood test that we talk about is cholesterol. Cholesterol comes in two different forms. Um, but there actually are a whole series of other kinds of cholesterol that we'll get into. But when we talk about cholesterol, we talk about the good cholesterol, which is HDL, the bad cholesterol, which is LDL, and then there are the other particles, triglycerides, colomicrons, and VLDL, et cetera. When we talk about elevated cholesterol, we really are talking about a historic concept because when we first started looking at patients with heart disease, all we could do was test for their total cholesterol levels. And that's where we came down with that concept of having a total cholesterol level of greater than 200 being important. But now we know that you can have a high total cholesterol of greater than 200 and have the majority of it being from good cholesterol and that not be an issue. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to move away from this concept of total cholesterol to looking at the various numbers. Your cholesterol increases because of a lot of things mainly genetics and how your liver metabolizes things and creates cholesterol, but also it's very much influenced by your diet, both with high fat diets and as well as high processed carbohydrate diets, uh, essentially flour and sugar, bread, etc. You can definitely decrease your cholesterol by improving your diet, exercise, etc. And we'll talk about that a little bit at the end, but a lot of your cholesterol is kept up by how your liver produces cholesterol. Now that we know about high cholesterol levels, let's talk about the subfractions. So the main ones we talk about right now are LDL cholesterol, which is the bad one. And when we look at high cholesterols, anything with an LDL above 130 is high and should probably be treated if we can't get it down on our own. An LDL of 100 is good for the average person. For someone who has heart disease, you want to get the LDL down to 70 and maybe down to 55 or even 30. And right now, when we're looking at a lot of research, the 30 number may be actually where we should be gearing towards, especially the patients who are at high risk. HDL is the good cholesterol, and that you want up to be at least 40, but preferably above 60. Unfortunately, there are a few things that raise HDL cholesterol, the main one being regular exercise. And unfortunately, all of our pharmacologic armamentarium doesn't include anything that can reliably increase HDL cholesterol and lead to good outcomes. So for now, exercise is the main one. The third piece of your total cholesterol number is your triglycerides. And triglycerides are essentially a fat particle that are in the bloodstream that is increased by dietary carbohydrate. 
increasing dietary carbohydrate, increase the precursors of triglycerides, and triglycerides are in many ways the precursors of total cholesterol. So we know through a lot of studies now that not just total cholesterol, but the higher the LDL is, the higher your risk is for coronary artery disease. We know that the higher your HDL is, the less coronary artery disease you have. So often these two things are going to be in balance where if you have a slightly high LDL, but you have a very high HDL, people will say, okay, that's adequate enough because you have good protective HDL cholesterol. A lot of people have moved over to talking about cholesterol in a more specific fashion saying, well, triglycerides are bad too, as are all of these other kinds of lipid subfractionations. So we'll use a term called non-HDL cholesterol being a sort of blanket term for these bad actors. I think that that's going to be moving away quickly because we're now able to test for a different particle called ApoB. And ApoB is a marker that is on all of the bad kinds of cholesterol. So it's on LDL, it's on triglycerides, it's on some other bad cholesterols called uh, very low-density lipoproteins or VLDL cholesterols, and another fat particle called colomicrons. So all of these things have an ApoB on them. So if you measure ApoB, it's essentially like measuring all the bad things together. So I think in the future, we're going to be moving over to drawing not just total cholesterol levels, but also ApoB levels and treating ApoB levels. One word on a side here for a moment is that right now, all the clinical trials that we have for cholesterol medications are based upon LDL lowering. So I don't think that until our new drugs are being developed where we look at ApoB and use ApoB as its marker for their success, are we going to be able to truly move over to using ApoB as a sole marker? But right now, I think it's a really good surrogate for all of the bad things. This is most useful when we're talking about patients who have lower levels of LDL, but who think that you're at somewhat higher risk. And that if we can't find it in the LDL, what could be causing the risks that you're having? So if your LDL is low, but your ApoB is high because of other subfractionations, that may be your risk for coronary artery disease. The other marker that we're looking at a lot is called lipoprotein A. This one is not calculated within the ApoB. It's its own separate marker. And as the lipoprotein A level increases, your risk for coronary artery disease increases geometrically so that once you get at above the upper limit of normal, your risk doubles, then triples, then quadruples, depending on what level versus the standard you are. When we look at lipoprotein A, this is very important in patients who have completely normal cholesterols. And I think it's going to be the, probably the most important thing you can test right now in finding out whether you have increased risk of heart disease from a cholesterol manifestation that we don't know. So for example, in my practice, I will often draw a lipoprotein A level on patients who have early onset coronary disease in their family, or if I see patients who have a very high coronary calcium score, or who have had a heart attack at a young age, and we can't figure out from their cholesterol or smoking history or something like that, that they are at higher risk than we would assume. There are clearly other markers that are going to be important for looking at in the future. But for right now, I would really just like to focus in on cholesterol lowering. One of the problems with lipoprotein A is that right now we can't treat it. And so people will ask, well, why do we have this discussion if we can't treat it? 
if you know that I'm at higher risk or if you see from something else that I'm at higher risk, why don't we just treat the risk? And the answer is you want to try to identify what we can, partially because in some patients we may identify when they don't realize that there's a problem. The second is I think it's a good motivator for those patients who have very high lipoprotein A's to get everything else down. So when we're looking at lipoprotein A, we see that it is a risk. We see that it's going to increase the plaques that are in your arteries plus the risk of thrombosis in the artery. And now we want to try to decrease all of the other things that we can decrease. So in those patients, we will get your LDLs lower. We will make sure that you're on a perfect diet. Uh, we'll try to impress upon you the importance of exercise. We may start aspirin or some other therapies as well. So we're going to be more aggressive with these higher risk patients. So I think for that alone, it's worthwhile. The next thing is that we are now looking at different medications in order to lower lipoprotein A levels. And the trials that are going to be coming out in the next three to five years are going to be looking at outcomes, again, that we care about, heart attack risk, stroke risk, revascularization, but utilizing that based upon lipoprotein A levels and then those lipoprotein A levels being decreased by pharmacological therapy. I don't think that the story has been completely written yet on lipoprotein A, but it is going in that direction. Currently, what are we doing about it? Well, the most important piece in treating your cholesterol is decreasing it with diet and exercise. People who are on good cardiovascular diets appear to do better. Those diets include the Mediterranean diet that we've all discussed. But when we discuss the Mediterranean diet, we're really talking about a diet that is rich in vegetables, fruits, and whole grains that decreases saturated fats and animal fats specifically, and also decreases processed carbohydrates, so flour and sugar mainly, but all carbohydrates in general. Yes, you should be eating whole grain bread, but you don't want to be reading a lot of it. By doing that, you will help to improve your LDL cholesterol. Regular daily exercise improves your vascular tone and a whole bunch of other things, but in addition, it does help to increase your HDL cholesterol. So performing a minimum of 150 minutes per week of exercise is what's recommended. That only translates out to 22 minutes a day. I do think that a little bit more is better and that the more you can get it into your lifestyle, the better it can be. For treating cholesterol overall, pharmacologically, the most important drug we have right now are statins. There's a lot of information about the statins and statin-induced myopathies, but overall, statins decrease cardiovascular event rates anywhere from 10 to 30%, depending on the trial that you look at. And we're getting more and more information on the benefits of statins. And there really is the bedrock upon which our pharmacologic therapy for high cholesterol and coronary artery disease is built. Beyond statins, we have a couple of other drugs that improve things. There's one drug called biempidoic acid. Azetamide is another one which can help. We have new drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors, of which currently there are three on the market. These are injectable drugs. We will often use them in patients who either can't tolerate statins or in whom we really need to get their cholesterols down much further. Right now, they're very expensive, but they are going to be coming down in cost. And, and really, the, the most important piece here is determining who's going to be the patients who are going to benefit from these drugs. Going back to what we were talking about before, patients who have high ApoB levels and high lipoprotein A levels, we may be reaching for these drugs sooner so that we can get their risk down further. There are a lot of other non-pharmacologic therapies that people will reach to in order to decrease their risk of atherosclerosis. Some people will use red yeast rice 
which is essentially a form of statin. My problem with red yeast rice is that it's not controlled in its manufacturing quite as well as the other drugs are. And to my mind, if you're going to be using a drug, you should use one that we know how it is being manufactured rather than using one where the manufacturing process isn't quite as assiduously monitored. Just to sum up a little bit here today, high cholesterol is bad. You want to try to decrease that as much as you can. You can through diet and exercise, but sometimes it does require pharmacologic therapy. When we talk about high cholesterol, we're really talking about high LDL cholesterol, and we're going to be moving to using some other markers, including non-HDL cholesterol and ApoB levels, looking to high risk. And then we're also in the future going to be talking about these lipid subfractions, which many people feel that we should at least draw once during a lifetime to see whether you're at higher risk than what we would assume. If you want to take a deeper dive into these topics, there is another podcast that is research-based, mostly for clinicians, but you can certainly listen to that too in the Future Pulse podcast. Otherwise, we will see you again, hopefully here, to talk about other issues involving clinical cardiology and patients first. Thank you very much.